0: Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome. My name is Pastor Jared. It is great to be with you. But we are going to continue on in our Mark series. We're doing something we've never done here at Alpine Church. We're, we have a three-month-ish structure of going through the Gospel of Mark. Uh, we really haven't finalized the details uh, because that's still weeks away. Uh, but we're encouraged. So really, we're in Mark. The lesson today is Mark 1.3. And then we're going to have a a great small group push in the month of uh, February, where we're going to be in Mark 2.1, 2.2, all the way through 2.7. So that's going to be a seven week, because the Gospels have so much rich and great information, but it's not redundant. So you can actually have like mini-series in the book of Mark. And so we're excited about this. Again, we've never done anything like this, but we are excited. And so far, weeks one and two have been received really, really well, and Mark... The first week of Mark, we looked through kind of the overview of Mark, and we looked at it, it's the, the gospel in action. Mark uses less words, which means there's a faster pace, and we're going to see that pace again today, and it's just a book on the move, gospel on the move, also the book, the gospel in action. And then last week, we, he goes from the first verse, which we looked at in week one, to really John the Baptist, and John the Baptist is the one to prepare the way for the one. And so we're going to look at that today, who that one is. But before we get into it, I want to start us off just with this question. You know, who in life knows you best? Who in life really gets you? You think about your relationships, who comes to mind? And this would be somebody that's probably past just the surface level of relationships, If they're going to get you, if they understand you best, they're going to know details about you, meaning they're going to know your strengths, your weaknesses, what makes you tick, so to speak. You know, if you think about the relationships, you know, if you're you're a child, especially a young child, the people that probably know you best are your parents. But after, you know, that year four, that cute age wears off, and then you start becoming five, and you start withholding information from your parents a little bit, and let's not even get into the teenage years. We know how difficult those are for kids and parents. But you can see just how that, that relationship evolves, but even it changes. And possibly in marriage, I've been married 31 years, so I would say Paula probably knows me the best, and I use the word probably. Not quite certain about that, but I would say probably. Because she's going to be a little bit more in tune to my strengths and weaknesses. But it's important that we kind of start this off, and maybe you're here today Now, I'm an introvert, so if you're an introvert, I don't mean this insulting, but introverts are like, you know what, I don't even want anyone to know me all that great. Like, I have the Heisman here for a reason with relationships, because I don't want anyone to get that close to me. But it's important as we look into this, because the title of today's message is this, Jesus gets us. What we're about to look at today in the first chapter, and we're going to be looking at verses 9 through 15 in chapter 1, is that Jesus becomes one of us. And there's just so much just with that statement right there. Now understanding that Jesus is fully God and understand how he is fully man can be very confusing, and I'll just start with this, that there's this divine aspect of you know, his divinity and divine part of his nature that he didn't leave so much to say, as just when he took on humanity, scripture goes into a few details about his life, showing some of his divineness as a human, but he can relate to us, he can experience death, he can experience pain, and we're gonna kind of start looking into some of those details today. But it's so incredible to me, because I think many people that think God is in this galaxy far, far away, and there's this massive chasm between us and God, But really what God has shown through the life of Jesus that he came into this world for you, he became like one of us, meaning there's going to be portions that we look at today that he can relate to us and we can relate to him. But understanding this, Jesus gets you. He understands details about you that you don't probably even understand about yourself. So when I ask that person, who's the person that knows you best? The person that knows us best Greater than any other person is Jesus, because he knows you better than you know yourself. And we're going to look at that in scripture of how amazing this relationship is. And the fact that Jesus became one of us, how we can be connected to him and we can relate to him through scripture. And so we're going to be looking at these three things. We're going to be looking at his baptism, we're going to be looking at his temptation, and then we're going to be looking at what our response should be. And we're going to look at this just in verses 9 through 15. So again, Mark is on the move. So Mark 1 chapter 9, we're going to see that this is the the gospel in action. And we're going to start with his baptism. And this is Jesus going public. This is his first ministry act is his baptism. And it starts in verse 9 through 11 in chapter 1. It says, one day Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee. And John baptized him in the Jordan River. As Jesus came up out of the water, he saw the heavens splitting apart and the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, You are my dearly loved son, and I bring, you bring me great joy. We could do a whole series just on his baptism. But let's pray one more time before we jump into Scripture. Lord Jesus, we're so grateful for your word, and I just pray that you would bring clarity to us as as we're trying to connect closer and be closer to you, Lord. We're grateful that you're right by our side, Lord, that you never leave us, Lord, and I just pray that your word would speak to us, and as we look at your baptism, Jesus, I pray that it would touch our hearts. There's so much that we need to talk about and go over here, and we're just grateful for this opportunity, Lord, and so speak to us, draw us close to you, and Jesus, we dedicate this time to you. We love you, we praise you, and we worship you. And it's in your precious name of Christ we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so that's Jesus' baptism, and here's what we're going to look. Jesus' baptism was significant in at least three ways. Now, I'm going to start with this. Jesus did not need to be baptized. So Scripture is very clear about this, that he was sinless. So there was no forgiving of sins. So with that statement, you're probably sitting there and like, why then did he get baptized? Well, there are a couple of reasons and we're gonna look at scripture to help us understand why Jesus, if he's not getting baptized for the forgiveness of sin. Remember, John said it like this, that baptism is a symbol of repentance of, and repentance is turning from God or turning to God, turning from your sinful nature and turning to God for your sins. And what Jesus is doing now, he's hitting the scene And he's making it more clear to us the fulfillness of what salvation looks like. And it's through Jesus and what Jesus is going to do on his mission and his crowning achievement by going to the cross and dying for our sins. That's where we are still. There's still a part of uh, repentance that's a part of that. But Jesus brings more of a fullness of the picture now of salvation. But if he didn't get baptized, why did he? And so we're going to look at that. And we're going to start with this. Here's the first way it's significant. It declared the start of his public ministry. This is where Jesus is starting. So at this moment, he says, I'm going to go do what I came to do in this world. And he starts with baptism. Even though he didn't need to be baptized, that's what he starts with. This public ministry starts with getting baptized. And as we look at this More and more, there's going to be this understanding, but this is the start. The start of what he is going to finally get to his crowning achievements, which would be his work on the cross, but he starts with baptism. He's going live. He's going public. And here's the second way that it's significant. It affirmed him as the second person of the Trinity. Now, understanding that A lot of people get tripped up on this word Trinity. It's nowhere in Scripture. But the concept of three in one is all over Scripture. And so I know many people say, well, you're talking about one God. So in that baptism, we just saw that Jesus got baptized, and the Father is speaking to the Son. And so how can they be one? Because it's one God but three distinct persons. That's what the Bible teaches Three distinct persons. You have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And they are all in perfect harmony here at the baptism. There's this perfect triune relationship of the Trinity, of all three persons of the Trinity here at the baptism. And it's beautiful. Now, where John uses less words in the Gospels, because he gets straight to the point, if you look at Matthew, Jesus comes to John. And this is in the Gospel of Matthew. And he says, John, you need to baptize me. And right away, John is a little bit uncomfortable with this. He's like, No, I'm not worthy to baptize you, Jesus. You're the one. You should baptize me. And Jesus' response is, No, it is the will of the Father. Because we need to do this so that all can be righteous. And so we see this from Jesus's, you know, taking on humanity. He's submitting and being obedience to the Father. And it's this beautiful picture, this beautiful picture of obedience in John as well, because then once John knows that it's the will of the Father, then he's okay with it. But again, you see this triune God all here at the baptism, Jesus being obedience to his Father. And then parents, it is so important to listen to those words of affirmation. Because not only is Jesus being obedience to the Father, he's being affirmed by his Father. Because God the Father says, Jesus, you bring me great joy. I am pleased with you, Son. And that's just a reminder as parents that we need to be affirming to our kids with our language. Look, I don't need any help with constructive criticism and correction with my kids. Like, I've learned to develop that on my own. And I'm really good at it. I can be a really good warden when I have to be. But where I lack at times is what the God, God the Father models for us, especially dads, two sons. I'm just not affirming enough. And here's the thing. Jesus, who lives a sinless life, was getting words of affirmation. God the Father was affirming him. And if God the Father is affirming Jesus, how much more important, moms and dads, do we need to be affirming to our children? It's so important to use those words of affirmation to our kids because why? They need it. They need it. Yes, they're not perfect. Yes, they're going to screw up. They don't have to hear that all the time. But make sure you mix in words of affirmation to your kids. And even though Jesus didn't need to, this is what he chooses to start off his ministry. And I do think there's a connection because any time we're walking with people and, and you know we teach the gospel each week and so that means people are responding because when you teach the gospel, people will respond. It's important to know that people are getting baptized and sometimes it's that you have that faith moment and you put your faith and trust in Jesus and you wake up that next day and you go, okay, now what? Now what do I do? And so I always instruct them that one of the first practical ways that you can be honoring to God in your relationship by accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior is baptism. That is so clear, the next first step. Now, that wasn't the first step for me. It took me a little while, and it's maybe some of you can relate to that. But it should be that first practical step for us. It doesn't have to be, again, baptism doesn't save us. It's by believing that we're saved, believing that Jesus went to the cross and died for our sins. That's how we are forgiven from our sins is by believing But it is interesting that Jesus starts off his ministry and as followers of Christ, one of the first practical ways we can be honoring to God is baptism. I love that connection. But I don't want to miss out on the relational piece that we witnessed in reading that scripture of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Because the third significant way that Jesus' baptism is showed his willingness to identify with humanity. I don't know if you've ever read that scripture and really connected those dots because he didn't need to, but there's reasons it was honoring to God the Father. That was his will, but it's also a way of Jesus identifying with us. I mean, just think about that. Jesus leaves his reign in heaven. God, fully God, comes into this world, becomes one like us so that he can identify with you. See, Jesus gets you. You might have walked through these doors really being disconnected from God or wherever you are on that spectrum, but you know what? Jesus gets you. He loves you. He knows what it means to lead us, and he put up with a lot. He knows what it's like to love us because he gave up a lot. Nobody knows you better than Jesus. And this is what he's doing to you right now. If you haven't accepted him as your Lord and Savior, his his arms are wide open saying, I want to embrace my son. I want to embrace my daughter. I want to embrace you. Because that's why he came. There is this connection that we can have with God. And I think for so many people, and yes, the divine God, there is so much about how he is wholly set apart from us and even Jesus, but how we are in such this amazing personal relationship It's incredible. But one of the reasons why Jesus got baptized was to identify with us. And now, why do we get baptized? It's to identify with Jesus. It says this in Romans 6, verses 3 and 4. Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death, for we died and were buried with Christ by baptism? And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. I love what Scripture is talking about here. This is what baptism about Jesus experienced this. Is when you go into the water, you are buried with Christ. That is that sinful nature, that sin part of your life. You're buried. And when you come out of the water, there's this amazing picture of coming out of the water to live this new life, this life that says, I want to follow God's way. That I want to be honoring to God with my life, with my actions, in my relationships, with even myself. I want to be honoring to you, Jesus. And that's the picture of what's happening here. That's why there's so, there's so much important symbolism when it comes to baptism. You know, this wedding ring has got so much, and I told you I'd been married 31 years, but it's a symbol. It's a symbol of my marriage and the, and the commitment and the vows that I made to my wife, and that's why I wear that wedding ring, and many of you wear the same, word, same ring if God has called you into marriage. Well, baptism is really symbolic of that faith moment when you put your faith and trust in Jesus. It's that outward expression of an inward decision that you made towards Christ. And so if you're here today, and you've never been baptized, and you have put your faith and trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins... The next practical step for you before small group or before anything else serving here, and those are all great things, but you need to get baptized. That's God's will for you. Again, it doesn't save us, but it is a command. The great... You know, the great command of go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So as we are bringing people to Christ, as we are introducing people to Jesus, and they are responding, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And So maybe you're sitting here and you're like, well, I've been baptized before. Um, so there are some, some scenarios where if you were baptized before, I was baptized as an infant. I don't remember that baptism. So I wouldn't say... I, I, you know, Scripture doesn't really support or defend. I mean, I, I don't want to get into the weeds here about that, but I believe baptism is for believers. That's what, how I interpret the Scriptures that I'm reading. Now, it does talk about family baptisms in, the, in, in Scripture and knowing how old the kids are. There's some vagueness to that. But I know my baptism that impacted my life, I was aware of what I was doing, the response I was making. And I would just encourage that for you. And so if you're here and you put your faith and trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, I mean, we want to come alongside of you. We want to help. The baptistry is not filled, so we can't do it after the service, but we can schedule it. But that's your next practical step of getting baptized because that's the will of God for you at this moment. Now, again, serving in kids' church is going to be awesome, too. And after you get baptized, we want to connect you to that great serving opportunity. But first, let's get baptized, all right? <laughs> All right, moving on. Second point here, his temptation. So, again, this gospel is on the move. So, he just gets baptized, and now John's writing about he goes into the desert and he's going to, or the wilderness, and he's going to be tempted. The temptation in the wilderness was Jesus' opportunity to defeat Satan right from the beginning. Where mankind failed, Jesus came out victorious. So even though he became one of us, there's a difference between Jesus and us. We have that sinful nature. He does not. Go back to chapter 3 in Genesis. So chapter 1, it talks about creating. He's creating. Chapter 2, he gets into his treasured creation. That's us. Chapter 3, it all goes downhill. The fall. So Satan comes to Adam and Eve. And again, we are Adam and Eve in the story. Meaning if your name especially if you were male and your name was first in Scripture, you'd be blamed for bringing sin into the world. But we're not blaming Adam and Eve because we are Adam and Eve in the story because every life after that's been born the same way. So our sinful nature, we can connect with Adam and Eve because Satan tempted them in the Garden of Eden with lies and deception and they fell for it. And therefore, they wanted to follow their own path. They knew God's instructions, so they turned from what God had told them, followed their own path, following what Satan had fed them. Sin entered the world, so be it. Now, this is a broken world. And the reason why that's so important to understand is because every life born into this world is separated from God because of our sin problem. The good news is, Jesus came to bring victory to that sin problem. Now, before we move on from Adam and Eve, let's talk about the Israelites again, where the Israelites in the story. It was supposed to take them 11 days to get to the promised land. 11 days, but it took 40 years. And there's a connection here of Mark, because for 40 days, we're going to see this, that he, he goes into prayer and fasting. But the Israelites, because, it's very clear, because of their disobedience of not wanting to follow God's path, and they wanted to follow their sinful nature, they wandered in the desert for 40 years. Now, eventually they they got there. But where man has failed, Jesus has victory, because he does not lose to Satan. And here's what I want to say. Satan is entering in a moment of pride right now, thinking that he can go influence the Son of God into sin. That's how much Satan believes about himself. He thinks that highly of himself. That's pride, thinking excessively highly of yourself. And that is an insult to Jesus, but it's the same Satan that can impact your life. And if he thinks he can influence Jesus, how much do you think he thinks he can influence your life? It's just good to understand the details of what the enemy and what we're up against. And we're going to see now how we can relate to Jesus in this temptation. Here's what it says, Mark 1, 12 and 13. It says, the Spirit then compelled Jesus to go into the wilderness where he was tempted by Satan for 40 days. He was out among the wild animals and angels took care of him. So now we see that it was through the Holy Spirit who led slash compelled, in this translation in the NLT, Jesus to go into the wilderness. Jesus is going to face a lot of rejection. Jesus is going to face tons of adversity. He is going to be challenged, and he goes from his baptism straight into the wilderness, and he fasts for 40 days. And yes, Satan comes to him three different times, feeds him lies, and unlike man, unlike Adam and Eve... He turns to truth. So every time Jesus was challenged by these false truths, these lies from Satan, Jesus uses scripture. So he's modeling a few things for us here. When we get, when we get fed lies from Satan, when we have attacks from Satan, we should also look to scripture, the truth to combat those lies. But often, We see the Spirit, so he starts his ministry. So again, just kind of like the baptism, when we come to faith, that's a good place for us to start really honoring God with our lives. There's a lot of people who put their faith and trust in Jesus, and then right after they do that, they start facing these attacks from Satan. Yes, Satan's real. Satan has influence in this world. Now, he's going to be cast to the fiery lake at some point when Jesus returns, but until that, he still continues to have influence, But it's interesting that the Holy Spirit compelled, which means this aggressive pressure. The Greek word for compelled in the other translations it's led is this aggressive pressure from the Holy Spirit leading Jesus into the wilderness. And we know what that pressure looks like. It's the attacks of Satan while fasting and praying. Now, this happened 40 days. Now, we are going to fast as a church, many of us, this coming Tuesday, We just need God's direction on what he wants us to do. We need land to sell. We put in an offer on some other land for the Syracuse campus. And so we are going to fast on that day, one day. And I want to encourage you to do this. So if you're sitting here going, well, that was Jesus. He was able to do that. No, it was possible for Jesus. But Jesus did experience hardship within those 40 days. And again, back to our fasting in prayer for one day on Tuesday. And I think it's good. I I giggled because we're teaching on Jesus who did it for 40. We're not going that aggressive. We think one day, 24 hours. But even with that one day, 24 hours, my wife and I talked. We're going to strategize here a little bit. So we start Monday at 7. And then Tuesday at 7, we're going to break our fast. So why why did we do that? Well, we want a good meal on, on Monday. A big dinner, right? And then we'll get to Tuesday and we'll push through till 7 p.m. Now, I'm making light of it a little bit, but it is going to be hard because we are people of a country who are consistently eating three meals a day. And maybe you skip a meal, but then you snack. I know you snack. And yes, hopefully it's healthy like carrots and celery, but sometimes it's Oreos and Doritos. If you've never done it, I want to encourage you to do it. So it's 24 hours, you can work the clock to your advantage, but it is going to be hard even for those 24 hours to go without food, drink, you know, you can you can put the parameters I'm going to try food and drink nothing for those 24 hours. If you want to drink water like you know whatever your doctor recommends you to do, but I'm I'm just focused and I'm going to try to do nothing. And it's going to be difficult because if we go without food for, you know, somewhere between 8 and 10 hours, we get hangry. We just do Like, my wife gets really angry. And so there might be some together time. There might be some alone time through that season. I'm just being open and honest here. But what Jesus did for 40 days is pretty, yes, it's possible, but it's remarkable. And again, he became one of us, so he can relate. He can relate to temptation with us because he was tempted. And the reason why is because Jesus gets you. He gets you. He gets us, and there's proof of that. Here's how Hebrews 4, 15, 16 shares a bit about how he gets us. This high priest, Jesus, of ours, understands our weaknesses. For he faced all of the same testings we did, yet he did not sin. There's the difference. So let us boldly come to the throne of our gracious God, There, we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. See, God gets us. Jesus gets us. And we can connect with him here. And I love, he knows our strengths. He knows our weaknesses. He's dealt with them. He's faced them. He knows what we're facing. But yet he didn't sin, although we do. And because of that, because of this loving God came to us, became one of us, we now boldly can go to the throne of his grace. We can bring our requests to him because he gets us. He experienced it like us. I mean, just that within itself, this God, this God who many people think is far, far away, is right with us, relates to us, experienced things like us and came for us. It's this amazing picture of God. And because he can relate to us and we can relate to him, we can go to him with our requests where we will receive his mercy. Mercy is giving us something we don't deserve, sparing us from something we do deserve. Mercy is sparing us from something we do deserve. So because of our sin, we do deserve death. But Jesus goes, I love you too much. I'm going to take that death upon me. So he spares us what we do deserve. And then he gives us the grace to help us when we need it most. Grace is something we don't deserve. So he he extends that grace to us. He extends that forgiveness when we've sinned again and again over the same thing to Jesus. Again and again and again. He still gives us grace. We serve this amazing God who gets us. Know that Jesus gets you, gets you better than you even get yourself, and he's done so much for you. So what's your response going to be? Understanding that Jesus left his reign in heaven to come into this broken world because he loved you. He made this relationship very personal. When the angels came to the shepherds when he was born, the angel said this to the shepherds, a savior has been born to you. It's this personal relationship, and it's amazing. What's your response going to be? Since Jesus did so much to become like us, we should respond by trusting in him. There's no better time than now to repent and believe. This is the most important decision we have in life. If you think about all the important decisions that we have about families and people and marriage and careers and everything, there is nothing greater than the decision that we make about Jesus, which is a response from the heart to him. And if you're here today and you have never put your faith and trust in Jesus by believing in what he did on the cross so that you would have forgiveness of your sins, that you would receive this new life, Here's what it says in Mark 1, 14 and 15. Later on, after John was arrested, Jesus went into Galilee where he preached God's good news. The time promised by God has come at last. Again, he remains faithful in all his promises. The scripture says that he was coming. John prepared the way for the one. The one is here. Many people think that Jesus has still not come. No, he's come. He is here. It is now. And he brings good news. The time promised by God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. You can read all throughout Scripture, all throughout Scripture. And you can see Jesus in in, in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew talking about this same good news. Repent of your sins and believe the good news of Jesus, that he died for your sins. You can then go look at Peter's first message, and you can see it was the same message. Repent and turn to Jesus. Repent and turn to Jesus. You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. That's the step one of understanding the truth about humanity. That's back to chapter 3 in Genesis, the fall. None of us are perfect. We all need to be forgiven of our sins because our sins cannot just go unjust. Like God is a just God. And so within his plan, sent Jesus to be like one of us, to die for us so that we can receive this new life. That's what Jesus offers you. In Hebrews, it says it like this. Here's the last verse of today. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. There's that connection, likeness that we have with Jesus. That through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is Satan. That is the devil. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. I think about all the lives in this world. Scripture is very truthful. And it says many more people are on the path to destruction. That's, that should ignite in our hearts an opportunity to share with the people in our life. And let me tell you, the voice of culture just seems to get louder and louder, leading people away from God. God is really unpopular now in the media. And we know the influence that media has on us, within our kids, within the world. But the truth is, these people are all subject to lifelong slavery because they hear something and they want to be popular with it, and it's unpopular to say anything about God right now. There's all this pressure about the details of life, and how many people are on the path that's leading away from God that are going to spend their entire life, even for eternity, subject to lifelong slavery because they didn't respond. This life you have right here is all about a response. Now, there's more to it. There's family. There's experience. But God brought you here for a response. And unfortunately, if we respond wrong, there's eternal consequences connected to it because this world is not going to be forever. And it's about responding to Jesus. So here it is. Once you have the right information with the right heart, the right attitude about what Jesus did on the cross, when those two things align. Because the devil knows who Jesus is, but he doesn't have the right heart. So there's this thought process of understanding what Jesus did on the cross and aligning it with the right attitude that comes from the heart and saying, Lord, I want to put my faith and trust in you. I want to turn from my sinful nature, my path that leads to destruction. I want to lead to your path that leads to this new life you're buried with Christ, you come out to raise and walk this new life. I want to walk that new life, God. And it's only through Jesus that we're able to walk this new life. And my hope is that would be your response. You can respond right here and right now. But what I don't want you to do, if you are here and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, and you have questions, come talk to somebody. Now, I know it's intimidating to come forward, and we'll invite you after the last song to come forward if you have questions or, or would like prayer. I'll walk to the lobby with you. We'll walk that way if it's better. But I remember a time in my life when I had people care about me enough that they spoke the truth. Yep, I was on that path of darkness. I was about that lifelong slavery. And I'm grateful that God put people in my life that loved me enough to talk to me about it. So maybe you're here with somebody, maybe that person's next to you that you can talk to. But if you're here and you don't have anyone to talk to, please, myself, other leaders, anyone in the lobby, they would love to talk to you. But this life is about this response of accepting Jesus Christ as your Savior for the forgiveness of your sins. My hope is that every person here hearing this message, hearing God's truth, would respond with that heart of repentance and have the right information about who Jesus is.